All right, folks, good evening. All right, just a real quick update. Don't forget that this is our last class for a couple weeks. Because we follow the Chandler School District schedule, we will be off the 3rd and the 10th of October, and we will be back the 17th. Now, I will remind you about that, hopefully, because I'm planning on putting some uh, stuff in the bulletin on Sunday the 15th, and then the next Sunday too, just to remind people that the mine is starting back up. Don't forget about us, okay, type of thing. Uh, I'm also going to be having some new cards done. If you've seen cards around the church, it says Bible Studies with Pastor Jeff, and it has all five of the studies that I'm doing. Uh, there's going to be new cards of those going out, uh, just because I'm going to be doing some new series in some of the classes and one of the things that I wanted to advertise in the mind is we're going to be finishing up 1 Peter tonight. And after the break, we're going to be going into 2 Peter and Jude before the Christmas holiday. And I think there's a lot of people that are going to be interested in 2 Peter and Jude. Because if I had to pick a title for 2 Peter and Jude, it would be Living Faithfully in Difficult Days. Or How to Live Faithfully for God in Difficult Days. Whatever. So uh, that's coming up. So anyway... Uh, we won't see each other for a couple weeks, but I'll meet you back here on the 17th of October, on Tuesday, October the 17th. All right. Another quick announcement for my friend Jeff Gokey, the 5th and 6th grade director. If any of you are in here and you are parents of those kids in Momentum on Tuesday night, if any of you would be willing to volunteer to help out with the all-nighter coming up this weekend, uh, they could use some help. And he doesn't expect any parents to stay up all night. He was wondering if, if some of you would be interested in maybe doing a couple hour shifts. In other words, if you could come from like 11 to 1 and then some other buddy could come from like 1 to 3 or whatever. So I don't know, okay? Yeah, there you go. I'm not going to be here, but you know. Anyway, um, so uh, I've done enough of those all-nighters in my day. But uh, anyway, I wanted to get that out as well. Also something that I'm shamelessly plugging already, even though it's going to be more than a month out. One of the things that I do here is the questions class, which is like every other month here at Cornerstone. And the last time actually I did it, which was several months ago, I did the thing on the Da Vinci Code. And this time we're going to be looking at a subject that I think really could pack some interest with a lot of people because talk about current events. We're going to be looking at the mystery, in a sense, of the Middle East, and the conflict, and behind the mystery of Islam, and all of that, because we have a lot of people in our culture, I'll even say me for a long, long time, I would hear words like jihad on television, and I would hear, uh, they're a Sunni Muslim, and they're a Shia Muslim, and they're a Sufi Muslim, and I'm like, what? I don't understand. And what I want to try to do is bring some clarity to the whole Middle East thing and to bring some understanding to what's going on over there. And my ultimate goal is to provide some real practical strategy of how you and I can share our faith with Muslims. All right? Uh, we're going to call it Behind the Veil, looking at the mystery of uh, sometimes what we see on television and what we hear and stuff, it's mysterious to us. It's a whole different world over there. And I'm hoping to bring some, again, understanding and clarity to that that I think will interest a lot of people. Because I don't know about you, 
But I know a lot of even Christians that live in America, they watch their television and they're like, what in the world is going on over there? What's it all mean? Where the... And hopefully we're going to clear some of that up. And that's Sunday, October the 29th. All right, it's the last Sunday in October. So I realize we're a ways away, but you're, we're going to start promoting that pretty heavily because we think there's a lot of people who could be interested in that. All right, we're going to dive into First Peter, but before we do, I want you to turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 14, verse 22. Uh, I was thinking about this verse today in preparation for our study tonight in 1 Peter chapter 5, which really is a survival kit for difficult days um, that Peter talks about. Let's remember something as we approach our study tonight that... Peter is writing to people who are under severe persecution for their faith during the reign of Nero under the Roman Emperor in the Roman Empire and they're really suffering for what they believe in. And so Peter, everything we've studied, everything we've read in 1 Peter is talking about encouraging these believers to hang in there in the midst of their persecution. Now the reason this verse in Acts came to my mind was because Paul was encouraging the same thing. He was encouraging these believers that he was writing to to hang in there during their persecution. Notice that one of his roles, one of his responsibilities he felt as a church planter was to come along and in verse 22 of chapter 14 of Acts to strengthen the souls of the disciples and to encourage them to continue in the faith saying, we must enter the kingdom of God through many persecutions. So the idea here is that there will be persecution, but we need each other to strengthen each other, to encourage each other, uh, and, and realize it's, it's all part of the plan and purpose of God. And God is not allowing it to destroy us, but to strengthen us and to strengthen the church and to strengthen our witness and to maybe even expand our witness, as he did in the book of Acts. That's exactly where Peter's coming from. He wrote Peter to encourage uh, and to strengthen the souls of those disciples so that they might continue in the faith, even though they were being persecuted. In fact, I came across this just this week. Uh, A 22-year-old woman in Vietnam named Lee Len uh, was arrested many months ago, for teaching the Bible to children. She was not only in prison, she was placed in a mental hospital in an attempt to destroy her faith. The authorities injected her with mind-altering drugs, beat her, and electrocuted her with a cattle prod. When she was released from the center in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam, her face was disfigured because her jaw had been broken during her captivity and had never been properly treated. She was finally released a week ago Thursday. On Sunday night one week ago, she met with a group of Christians in the home of a pastor who was still in prison. Without warning, the authorities broke up the meeting, arrested the Christians, and held them for four hours before releasing them with threats of further punishment. Leland's father said that no matter what the authorities did, his family would continue to worship God. That's foreign to us. But what I want us to remember is that that's going on on a daily basis in many parts of this world in which we live. 
And we need to pray for those people. Our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who really are being persecuted. And they really are laying on the line their very lives for their faith in Jesus Christ. And they're not backing down. With courage, they are standing up for what they believe. And I think that's great. That's what Peter is writing about. He's saying to these folks, listen, I'm not discounting the intensity of what you're going through, the suffering of what you're going through, but I'm telling you to hang in there. All right, if you go to 1 Peter chapter 5, before again we actually get into 1 Peter chapter 5, let me just remind you of some things that Peter has talked about in chapter 4 that we looked at last week. He reminded us in chapter that our hard times develop our character, and that's why God allows them. That hard times can bring us closer to God, and that's why God allows them. That hard times in our lives can lead to serious self-examination, which is good, because it can help us to tweak our priorities, which may get out of balance at times. And hard times teach us to trust God in new ways. In fact, the very end of chapter 4, verse 19, Peter ends chapter 4 by saying these words, So then, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful Creator as they do good. So we are to continually trust God, put our lives in His hands, no matter what we're going through. And as we go through these tough times, we entrust ourselves to God and learn that He truly is a faithful Creator. You know, we learn more about ourselves, we learn more about God. It's just just good all around, all right? And so that's where we sort of left off last week. Now, as we come to chapter 5 tonight, again, we can look at chapter 5 in this way. I believe that Peter is going to tell us in chapter 5 some really great principles to live by in difficult days. It's sort of what I call a survival kit for living in difficult days. And the first thing that I see in chapter 5 is this principle. Get the right kind of leaders. Get the right kind of leaders. Throughout the Bible, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and then even here specifically, he is addressing elders or leaders in the church. And he is telling us here in these first four verses of chapter 5 what these leaders should look like. Notice he says, So as your fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, and as one who shares in the glory that will be revealed, and notice there he's saying that those who share in Christ's sufferings will also share in His glory, which has been a theme throughout 1 Peter, that before glory comes suffering, before the cross is the crown, Jesus Christ is the greatest example of that. The teacher or the disciple is not above his teacher, so if Christ suffered and went through that, so will we. But then he goes on to say this, I urge the elders among you, give a shepherd's care to God's flock among you, exercising oversight, not merely as a duty, but willingly under God's direction, not for shameful profit, but eagerly do not lord it over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. Then when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that never fades away. Now I know specifically here, Peter is addressing elders. Okay, I understand that. But I want to step back and broaden this just to simply say that as we apply what we learned on First Peter and what Peter's really getting at here, he's just simply saying it's always important that we have good leadership in anything, in anything, especially the church. And it's especially important to have good leadership, especially in difficult times. 
I mean, if ever you need good, solid, stable leadership, it's when the boat begins to rock or maybe even begins to sink. And so let's remember something here. These people that Peter were writing to, they were going through some really difficult times. And if ever they needed some strong leaders in their life to look to, as he says, as examples, it was then. And that's a lot of what Peter's saying. That's why he's saying what he's saying. Now, he's addressing the elders, obviously. He's talking to the elders. But I think he's saying to us, too, just generally as Christians, how important it is to get the right kind of leaders. We all know that we live in a world today that has a dearth of leadership almost in every area of society. I don't care whether you're talking about government, business, the church, whatever. We are looking for solid leaders, and it's hard to find good leaders out there today. It's hard to find people within the body of Christ who are bold enough in their walk with God that they can say to other people, like Paul did in, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. But we need people like that today because I believe we're living in difficult days, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.1. And it's only going to get more difficult until we come to the time where Christ returns. And because of that, we need leaders. We need people who will rise up within the body of Christ and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed to, to, to stand up for Christ. And, and you know what? I'm not ashamed that, that I want people to follow my example. I want people to follow me as I follow Christ. We need leaders. And I think we need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for leaders to be raised up within the church. I don't know of any church that has too many good leaders in it. I don't know of, of, of Christianity where they would say, oh, we've got enough good leaders. And so I think it's very important that we have great examples and all of us really should strive to be an example to whoever we come in contact with. And that's just part of being a leader. Recognizing, as he says here at the end of verse 3, that we are all to be examples to the flock. Yes, he's specifically talking to elders, but every one of us is to be a good example to those who are watching our lives. And especially those of us in this room tonight, I would say especially at a church like Cornerstone, <clears throat> where you've got a lot of younger people and you've got a lot of teens and a lot of children and whatever, they're looking to see what a Christian is all about and what a follower of Christ is all about. And you and I can have a tremendous impact in the lives of others. We need to step up. And like Paul, I think we need to say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, the challenge there is then, I need to be following Christ. And I need to commit myself to being a dedicated, committed follower of Jesus Christ. But I think the first principle here that I see is get the right kind of leaders. One of my heroes in, in history, and you know guys that I'm a history buff, uh, is Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, I wasn't alive when Teddy was the president, but I still still admire Teddy. Wrote a, read a lot about him and read a lot of his stuff. And one of the leadership principles that he had even before he became president, and while he was president was this, he said, here's one of the greatest principles I can give any leader. Get the right person for the right job and then let them do it. Get the right per but the key is to get the right person for the right job, to, to fit that person in in the right place where it, it fits them. 
And we've talked about that before as well. So get the right kind of leaders. And again, I think it's just a challenge for all of us in this day and age to step up and say, I want to, I want to be a leader. I want to, I want to be somebody that other people can look to and say, yeah, I, I want to follow you. You know, I, and I realize ultimately we're following Jesus Christ, but as those within the body of Christ, it is certainly biblical that we be challenged to be examples, to be good examples. Uh, not perfect examples, but good, consistent, solid examples of what following Christ is all about. And then, I'm going to just stop in a moment. At the beginning of verse 5, I think he says, once you get the right kind of leaders, and getting the right kind of leaders is certainly important, then be willing to follow those leaders. Notice he says, in the same way you who are younger be subject to the elders. Now, he's not just talking about physical age here. He's presuming something here. And that is that for the most part, not always, that a lot of times the leadership in a local church and in the body of Christ tends to be those more mature. doesn't always work that way, but just tending. So he's just using sort of a generality. Those underneath their leadership should be willing to follow. <clears throat> Before all of us can be leaders, we've got to be good followers. I, I, God really, how do I say this, took that principle and continued to burn that into my mind very early on and continues to do so to this day. I can't be a good leader unless I'm willing to be a good follower. Uh, in fact, a leader really is a good follower, just extended a little bit differently. Because you remember, Jesus really said, there's no such thing as, in a sense, leaders in my body, we're all servants. And so the best leaders are the really the best servants. And, and to be a great servant, I need to be a great follower. And the best leader is going to be the one who's following Jesus Christ and following our other leaders, and it's just so important. Keep your finger there in 1 Peter. Go back to the book of Hebrews, if you will. You knew I was going to get to Hebrews at some point. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls and will give an account for their work. Let them do this with joy and not with complaints, for this would be of no advantage for you. That's a heavy verse. And here's a couple of things. First of all, it says, obey your leaders. That's pretty straightforward. Submit to them. That's pretty straightforward. Be a good follower. Get the right kind of leaders, and then be willing to follow your leader as they follow Christ. But the other cool thing, if you really study this and look at this and meditate on this verse, it's sort of cool is that it's saying that our leaders are going to give an account before God for their work. Before God. And that God is saying, it would be better for you to be a blessing to your leader than a burden. Because that wouldn't please God if somehow it's, it's enough of a burden, say, for instance, at Cornerstone, for Pastor Lynn to be navigating a church of over 3,000 people. He's got enough on his plate. 
So if somebody in the church begins to be a burden to Pastor Lynn, then he's got to take his focus off of leading the entire church and, you know, put out this fire here and put out this fire here and deal with this and deal with that. And God says, oh, that's not going to be good for you. You see, we should all strive to be a blessing to our leaders, not an added burden to our leaders. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying when he says, let them, speaking of our leaders, give an account before me with joy and not with complaints, for this would not be an advantage for you. In other words, I'll just use myself as an example. In this context, okay, Pastor Lynn gets to heaven one day and he's giving an account of things at Cornerstone to God. And then God says, and what about that Royce character that you had on staff there? And Lynn goes, oh, Jesus, if you only knew. You, know, you, you do know. You're God. You know everything. Oh, he was just a bear to work with. And he caused all these problems. And he was such a burden. And I couldn't get other things done because that wouldn't be advantageous for me. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. That's how important it is, folks that we be good followers and that we be a blessing to our leaders and allow them to lead and allow them to get done the things that are really important within the body of Christ rather than, you know, uh, me dragging them down. Now, I hope you don't take that to mean that, say, for instance, as pastors, that we don't, we don't want to be involved in your lives. and how, That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying that there's a difference between being a member of a body of Christ and being a burden to my leader and being a blessing. And when I get to heaven, I want those leaders that I have served under to say, Jeff was a blessing. He was not a burden. Because God will reward me for being a good follower and for being willing to obey and submit to my leaders which is a very biblical principle that you see here very clearly in the book of Hebrews. It is no different than the principle given to children when the Bible says to obey your parents and to submit to them. God has placed within our society and our culture and the world in which He created a strata of authority. And God is a God of order. And God is saying in order to have order, and not chaos, you and I need to follow that order and be willing to submit to the authorities that God places over, whether they be in the government, whether they be in the church, whether they be in the home or wherever. And it's all part of being a good follower. Again, I have to be challenged that I'm not going to be the leader that I should be if I'm struggling with being a follower. And so we go back to First Peter chapter 5. You know what, let me just touch on this next principle because it certainly ties in with this one. Which is the next one is practice humility. Because notice then how humility really is the key to being a good follower. Because notice that in the context he says, and all of you within the church, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And God will exalt you in due time if you humble yourselves under his mighty hand. A couple things. Again, he's saying that the key to being able to being a good follower is really staying humble. 
and, and clothing myself with humility. It's a great picture. In Bible times, servants would wear an apron. It was, it was a, an outward symbol of, of their servanthood, of their humility, of their being willing to say, hey, I'm ready to work, I'm here, i got my servant's apron on. And we have adopted some of that in our culture. If you go to a Starbucks, which many of us do frequently, what do they wear? They wear aprons there. Uh, you go to other places of, uh, where they, you, know, you eat or whatever. Many of them have aprons. It goes all the way back to Bible times when those who were serving others wore an apron. It was, it, was a, it was a symbol of service. It's almost the same thing as when Jesus got up from the table during the Last Supper and girded Himself with a towel and went around and washed all of His disciples' feet. He was showing His disciples, Hey, guys, I'm the Son of God and I am willing to humble Myself and wash your feet. Hey, I'm the Son of God. I'm willing to, Philippians 2, humble myself and take upon the form of a servant and take upon human flesh and come to this earth to share visibly God's love for mankind. Humility. Jesus modeled it throughout His earthly life and we are to clothe ourselves with that kind of humility towards everybody. And you see... If everybody within the church, if everybody within the body of Christ would clothe themselves with that kind of humility on an everyday basis, my goodness, how powerful that would be. But then notice, Peter goes on to say, but don't forget, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And the reason why God is so against pride is because he saw firsthand what it did to Lucifer. Remember, Really, pride was the whole thing that got this whole thing started on the wrong foot to begin with. Because back when Lucifer rebelled against God, the Bible says he was lifted up in pride as the archangel and said, I will have a throne like God. I will be like the Most High. I will ascend to the heavens. Isaiah 14. And so it was through pride that Lucifer rebelled against God. And ever since then... One of the things that Satan has tried to do is to build up our pride and to get us to become independent of God and to get us to the point where we have the same pride that he had, you see. And the Bible says that's why it's so... You read the Old Testament. Pride is at the very top of the list of the things that God hates in the book of Proverbs. Pride. I mean, all through the Bible, pride is just so destructive because God knows that what pride does to us is it causes us to become independent of God and to pull away from God rather than being dependent on God, which is really the key to unlocking the power that God wants us to live by. That's why then it goes on to say, but God gives grace to the humble. Because we have learned in the mind that God's grace is not just His unmerited favor towards those of us who believe in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. It is God's power and enablement to live the way we need to live. That's why God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to take that thorn in the flesh away, 2 Corinthians 12, but I'm going to give you the grace to be able to endure it, the power, the enablement to be able to rise above it. And God says, I only give that grace to those who humble themselves. That's why Hebrews 4.16 is a key verse here, because it says, let's come boldly under the throne of grace in our prayer time and ask God for help in time of need. You see, one of the great ways that we model humility is in our prayer life. 
And when I go to God and I pray and I say, God, I do need you. I can't do this alone. Then God pours out his grace from his throne and enables us to do those things that we could never do on our own. But if we lift ourselves up in pride and we say, God, I don't need you. I don't need to pray. I don't need to come to you. I don't need to be dependent upon you. Then God resists that attitude. He resists that. But notice he says in verse 6, but don't forget, folks, God will exalt you in due time. If you humble yourselves under his mighty hand. And let's not forget what a mighty hand God has. And, and when God sees fit, as I humble myself before God, God will exalt me. God will exalt me. I don't need to worry about exalting myself. I don't need to worry about tooting my own horn, as my parents used to say. I don't need to worry about calling attention to myself. If I humble myself before God, God will raise me up. I've always said, better for me to humble myself than for God to have to humble me. And I've been there at times in my life where God had to humble me, and that's not a good place to be. I don't like that. But I'm glad God did it. Because God loved me enough to humble me so that I could get back on track with Him and begin to see His grace flow through my life again. Because without that humility, God's grace is cut off. God's grace, folks, is what we need to live the Christian life. So again, how important is humility? So get the right kind of leaders, follow your leaders, and practice humility. And again, this was very important in the context of what was going on in Peter's time, because these people were suffering. And again, like we said, the last thing Peter wanted was these people to begin to bite and devour each other. He wanted them to, to, to encourage each other and to build each other up. The last thing they needed when they were under persecution from the world was for them to turn on each other as Christians. He said, you guys need each other. That's part of why God designed the body of Christ so that you have this body so that if your family turns their back on you, guess what? You have another family. If your friends turn their back on you, guess what? You've got other friends within the body of Christ. That's part of what the, the purpose of the church is all about. And so we need each other and we need to encourage each other, not continue to bite and devour each other. So all the more important that we treat ourselves and treat each other with humility. Alright, comments, questions? Okay, I'm going on. Next, release anxiety. Notice he says, and if you humble yourselves under his mighty hand, well, how do I, besides prayer, and this is even maybe part of my prayer life, how do I show God humility? Verse 7, one of the great verses in the Bible. Remember, I share... The Bible is equally inspired, but not equally important. Every verse in the Bible is equally inspired, but not every verse in the Bible is equally important. You know, all the beget, begot, beget, begot in the Old Testament isn't as important as John 3.16. It's equally inspired, just not... This is one of those, wow, this, this verse is really important. By casting all... And what does all mean? All means all, because that's all all means. By casting all, not 80% of my care, not 90% of my care. No, Peter says, 
to the persecuted Christian out there who's about ready to knuckle under, cast all your... You see, he would have said to Li Len in Vietnam, Li, cast all your care. I know they're throwing you into that mental institution. They're going to try to break you. You're going to be tortured. You cast all your care on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Now, a couple things. First of all, the word casting is a very important word. It literally means to take something and to roll it over. And, it, and it's, it's a pretty deliberate thing. It, it's a pretty aggressive thing. It's like, I got this thing here. I'm just, ugh, I'm casting it. It's over. I'm no longer going to carry it around. And I've shared this with you folks before here at Cornerstone. Here's the problem. When we don't cast all our care upon God, and we begin to carry these heavy weights or packs on our back that God never intended for us to carry, we will eventually, over time, begin to break down physically, emotionally, and spiritually. That's why we have people who have ulcers and high blood pressure and suffer from migraines and, and, and panic attacks and things like that because, because we're not casting all our care. Or we may have cast it, like I've done before, and then I take it back. I cast it for a couple weeks. Okay, I'm taking it back now. See? No, he says cast it, and that word cast means when we cast it, we also leave it there. Permanently. Cast all your care on Him. So, here's the deal. And this is so practical, because we live in a world today where we have people who are suffering from so many problems physically, emotionally, and spiritually because they're carrying around on their back a weight and a pack that God never intended for them to carry. And God's up there saying, give it to me. I don't want you to ca- I never intended for you to carry that around. Give it to me. No, I'm going to carry this back. And part of that is what? Part of that is pride. Pride. Going back. See how it all ties? Pride. I'm going to... I'm going to take this on myself. And God says, go ahead. Sooner or later, that pack's going to get so heavy that it's going to crush you. And then what are you going to do? Then you'll look up. Because then you'll be so far down that you have nowhere else to turn. But God wants us to cast all our care on Him. That's what He wanted these people to do. They were going through tremendous persecution. They had a lot to care about. They were like Lee Len in Vietnam who were being tortured for their faith. And he says, hey, cast it all on God. Because here's the real bottom line. You and I have to come to a point where we don't just say these words, but where these words are truly real in our heart, where we really believe that He cares for us. See, here's the, here's the part. We can read this verse, we can quote this verse, we can memorize this verse, we can tell other people, God cares about me and God cares about you. But I'm telling you, until that truth really grips your heart, it doesn't make a difference. Because you and I have to really believe in our heart and have come to a solid conviction that no matter what I'm going through, God still cares for me. And even like Lee Len, he can allow me to go through something like that and he still cares about me? Yeah. And see, that's walking by faith, not by sight. That's why it's so important that our faith be built up. 
And as I've shared with you before, to me, one of the greatest promotions for Bible studies like the mine is, what's the Bible say is one of the best ways to build up my faith? By getting into the Word. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You want to build up your faith? Get into the Word of God. Because it is through, it is, our faith is the bullseye that Satan will attack. That's why, and I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself, but that's why you'll notice in verse 8 and 9 then, he says, Be sober and alert. Your enemy, the devil, like a roaring lion, is on the prowl looking for someone to devour. Resist him strong in your what? Faith. Because it is faith that Satan will attack. And that's where we've got to stand strong. In trusting God no matter what it looks like. That's why Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. But I want to go back then to verse 8. Part of releasing anxiety is dealing with this spiritual adversary we have called the devil. And Peter would say to Lee Lan and say to those he was writing to and say to us, folks, we've always got to be alert to the working of the devil in our lives. That's why he says, be sober and alert. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion. Now, I didn't know this, so I had to study it. Why do lions roar? I didn't know. I thought, man. Lions roar because they try to use their roar as an intimidation. That, that before they even get to like, you know, chase down their prey or whatever. They want to roar in order to get their enemy to sort of be a little intimidated and to back up. And that's exactly why the Bible compares Satan to a roaring lion. He's constantly trying to intimidate us and to get us to back up rather than, as Peter says, remaining firm in your faith. So that someone like a Lee Len in Vietnam could say, and her father Hey, we're living for Christ. I don't care what you do. We're, we're firm. Man, that takes faith. Because they're standing there thinking, they could kill me. But I'm standing firm. Because Satan will use persecution and use the fear of men to try to back us down from our faith. And that's why Peter is saying, no, be strong. Because remember, he's like a roaring lion. He's on the prowl looking for someone to devour. Now, the other thing I want you to see in the context here of why Peter butts verse 7 about casting all your care, he cares for you, up against verse 8, immediately after that, about, oh, and be careful because the devil's out there, is because I think one of the primary ways that Satan attacks us is by casting doubt in our mind that God does care for us. That's why these two verses are in context. That's why it's important to study the Bible in context. If you pull 1 Peter 5, 7 out of context, you can read it, you can study it, you can even preach on it. It's a great verse. But when you put it in the context then of overall and see how it ties in with the humility that we need to have and then on the backside to see how it's tied in with the enemy's strategy against us, then it all becomes even more clear that one of the primary things that Satan will do throughout our Christian life is to say, God doesn't really care about you. God doesn't have your best interest at heart. And listen, this is not a new strategy. This is a strategy that Satan has employed ever since the Garden of Eden. When he appeared to Eve, what did he say to Eve? He says, 
Now, God's telling you not to eat from that tree in the middle of the garden, but does God really have your best interest in heart? And, of course, the implication is, no. God doesn't have your best interest at heart. So, very important. We've got to be careful that we don't listen to the lies of Satan and that we continue to fill our minds with the truth of God and resist. Resist Him. That's what the Word says in verse 9. How do, we, how do we stand up against this adversary? Resist Him. How do I resist Him? By standing firm in my faith. By continuing to trust God and entrust, as it, we said in verse 19 of chapter 4, by continuing to entrust my soul to a faithful Creator and continuing to do good no matter what the circumstances and no matter what's going on in my life. That's resisting Him firm in the faith. I mean, there's a lot of things I could say to him or whatever, but it's truly going to come down to whether I come to a point in my life where I truly model my trust and believe in Jesus and believe in his word and say, yes, Lord, I believe it. I believe it. And I'm going to stand on it no matter what. You see, I, I think these guys came to a point in their life, Peter, Paul, and others, and I think people like even Lee Len have come to a point in their life where they're saying, God, I'm going to stand on Your Word and I'm going to stand on Your promises even if I'm the last human being on earth to believe in You. Even if everybody in the world would turn their back on God and walk away and I'm the only human being on earth that still says, I believe, that's where I am. That's the kind of faith that can truly push back, if you will, the devil and resist him firm in the faith. So watch out for our enemy. How do we stay strong in difficult days? What is our survival kit for difficult days? Get the right kind of leaders. Follow your leaders. Practice humility. Release anxiety. And watch for the enemy. Watch for the enemy. Comments? Questions? Yes. Right. Well, let me go on there because here's one of the other things that Peter is saying to those who are suffering. He's saying, one of the things that happens when we suffer is we can begin to think, and this is another strategy of the devil, you're the only one going through this. You're the only one going through this. We can begin to think that we're it. That no one else has gone through what I've went through. No one else has suffered like I've suffered. And that's where Satan wants to get us. So what Peter is reminding these readers of is a very important principle that all of us also, as we watch out for the enemy, need to, and that is, we're never the only ones going through it. That's one of the reasons why I shared the story of Lee Len from Vietnam. Folks, if you think you're going through persecution, think about people in countries like Vietnam and China and India and Iraq and Iran and places like that that are saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness, I can't even imagine the persecution. And, and that's all he's saying is the devil always wants to isolate us. He always wants us to make us feel like we're all alone. That's why the Bible says no temptation that, that comes against us is unusual. It's common. Other people have felt the same way. That's again why God created the body of Christ. Because when we come together and we begin to be transparent with each other and we begin to get to know each other and build relationships, we can say, 
you know what? I'm struggling with so-and-so. You're struggling with that too? I'm struggling with the very same thing. Really? And isn't it cool how just knowing that somebody else either has went through what you're going through or is going through what you're going through, somehow that is an encouragement. That's what he's saying here. He's saying that you've got to remember that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are enduring the same kinds of suffering that you're going through. He didn't want his readers to think, oh, we're, we're the only one, like the Elijah, you know. I'm, I'm the only one serving God. I'm the only one standing up for God. That's where Satan wants us. He wants to get us isolated. And like I said, God designed it that spiritual growth doesn't take place in a vacuum. That's why he created the church. Spiritual growth does not grow in a vacuum. When we get together and we rub shoulders with each other and we have that synergy together where we grow from each other, iron sharpening iron, that's one of the reasons why God designed the church the way he did. Yes. <coughs> no, you're right. <coughs> yeah, another tactic. It's one thing to believe that God can do it, she was saying. It's another thing to believe he's willing to do it for you. And that really goes back to even that concept of God does care for me and God loves me. And that's why, if I could just take a moment, I'll get to your question. If you go back to... Oh man, I'm going to test my memory here. You know, there's 800 and some thousand verses in the Bible. You'd think I'd have them all down by now. <laughs> okay, that was a cheap shot. Ephesians chapter 3. There it is. If you turn there for a second... <clears throat> something too that's been a challenge to me over the years is to study the prayer life of Paul. As I've shared with you before, you know, one of the things we as Christians do real well for each other, we pray for each other's physical needs. And there's nothing wrong with praying for each other's physical needs. But when you study the, Paul, the, the prayers of Paul, Paul is rarely focusing on the physical needs of the saints He's always focused on the spiritual maturity of his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, I have been challenged to pray a little bit differently. Instead of always just praying for physical needs, to pray for the spiritual needs of my brothers and to pray for their spiritual maturity and growth. And notice then beginning in chapter 3 of Ephesians verse 14, here's Paul's great prayer. And I bring this up because Paul's saying, you Ephesians need to come to a point where you really, really come to a point where you begin to really know that God loves you. I mean, not, you're just not saying it, you really believe it. Notice, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that according to the wealth of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner person. What a great prayer right there. We could stop right there. Paul's saying, I pray that every Christian will be empowered on the inside with the Spirit of God. And, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There's that importance of faith. So that, because you have been rooted. See, he's already talking to people who've been rooted and grounded in love. You may come to a point in your Christian life where you are able to comprehend the incomprehensible. That seems weird, doesn't it? But that's exactly what he's praying, that God will supernaturally begin to unlock the incomprehensible, which is this. 
to comprehend with all the saints that this knowledge isn't just for a, a couple super saints out there or people in the ministry. This is for all the saints. He wants them to understand what is the breadth and length and height and depth and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses human knowledge so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Paul's saying, you know what, folks? Here's the deal. I'm going to stagnate on a certain level in my Christian life until I can really begin to grasp how much God loves me. And then I'm going to go up to another level. Because I run into Christians all the time who they, they say, yeah, I believe God loves me. Yeah, I believe He loved me enough to die on the cross for me. But when you get right down to it, it's words that we say. Has it really... I mean, to think that the God of the universe loves me. I mean, to think about that. In fact, Paul says... Oh, He doesn't just love you. When you begin to think about the breadth of God's love. Wow. God loved me even before I was born and God will love me on into eternity. When you begin to think about the length of God's love, same thing. When you begin to think about the height of God's love. That the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then God took us out of the miry pit of sin. And then the Bible says, raised us up to be seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We are prince and princesses with God. We are heavenly royalty. Wow. God loves me that much? And the depth of God's love. That God was willing to reach down and pick me up and take me up there to be with... I mean. Paul's saying, guys, part of what we need to do as Christians is begin to meditate and think a little bit about how much God loves us. Because we talk about God's love. We tell other people about God's love. We may even quote those verses about God's love. But until it really sinks down deep into our heart. Because again, that's where Satan will attack. Does God really love you? Oh man, you you did something so bad back there. God, no, I'm sorry. God, no. You see, no. God loves me. There have been times in my life where I've just got alone with God and I started to think about how much He loved me and the tears just started to just stream down my cheeks. I just like, oh my golly. I mean, knowing who I am and how much I've failed God and all that and just think that God could not love me any more than He ever did. And there's nothing I will ever do and could do to lessen God's love for me. I mean, when you and I begin to think about that, and that, that's solid in our life. I mean, that's rock solid in our life. Paul's actually praying that Christians will begin to comprehend the incomprehensible. How do we do that? We don't do that humanly, but we can do it through the aid of the Holy Spirit of God and through the Word of God. We can begin 
to grasp how much. And so I hope tonight, if nothing else, that every person who's here tonight in the mind would leave here just maybe realizing a little bit more just how much God loves you. And that even though maybe your life doesn't look like it, God loves you. And God could never love you any more than what He does right now. And He could never love you any less than what He does right now. That's the love of God. Sorry, I didn't mean to preach and get off on that, but after she shared that, I thought, let's go back to your question. Song of Solomon says, beware the little foxes, because they, they spoil the vines. It's the little foxes. Or as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, a fly can cause a lot of stink in that pretty box of perfume. Only one fly, you know. So yeah, it, it, it is the little things. And that's why we need to depend on upon God all the time, and even in the familiar and the comfortable. That's one of the things that Jesus was teaching his disciples whenever, remember, most of them, the early ones, were fishermen. So they were the experts. Remember, Jesus was a carpenter. Okay? He didn't know about fishing. You know, they were the experts at fishing. So Jesus is calling his disciples in Luke chapter 5 to a deeper level of commitment and involvement with him. And they've been out fishing all night because they know that the best time to fish is at night. That's when the fish come to the surface is at night. Here's Jesus, this carpenter guy who's telling him to go out in the middle of the day and catch fish. And Peter's like, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. You expect us to go out in the middle of the day and catch something? Okay, we'll do it. And you know the story. They go out and what happens? They catch so many fish, the Bible says that their two fishing boats begin to sink. And the nets begin to break because of all the fish. And one of the things that Jesus was saying is, Oh, you were the experts, huh? And one of the things I'm guilty of in my life is I know I need to depend upon God. But then there's times in my life where I've done something long enough that I feel like I can do it on my own. For instance, like, hey, I've communicated the Word of God now for 25 years. So if I wanted to, I could just say, yeah, let's just do this. I've done it before type of thing. It doesn't work that way. I need God as much now as I needed Him when I was a 22-year-old just starting out. Just, that's just the way it is. You know, we never get to a point, and that's one of the illustrations of what he was saying to the fishermen. You know, you need me even when you don't think you need me. You know, we need, that's why I always said, the key to being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not primarily obedience. It's primarily dependence. Because I can't be obedient unless I'm dependent. Because all the commands of God are impossible for me as a human being. Not just the big ones, like loving your enemy, but even those small ones are impossible for me without God's grace and God's help. I need God. And so I just, I need to regularly, you know, and I think that's why Jesus taught, give us this day our daily bread, to come to God on a daily basis, to take up our cross daily, to realize that it's a daily thing that I've got to get up every day and sort of recommit myself to following Jesus Christ that day and being dependent upon Him. Because one day I go being independent, and guess what? Boom, I'm going to fall on my face. And we've all been there. We've all been there. Yes. Yeah, the question was, is, is humility sort of dying to yourself? Uh, and I think it's a lot of that. Uh, primarily, though, if you study the word humility, it really comes back to that dependence. 
It's just getting rid of the independent. You know, a lot of people have a misconception. They think humility means I got to put myself down. You know, I, I'm a nobody. I'm no, that's me. I'm humble. I'm, I'm a nobody. No, that's self-deprecation is not humility. All right. But here's what humility is. Humility is even if I do have a gift and I use it, that I give God the glory for it. Because going back to grace again, I recognize as someone who's humble that whatever gifts I have that, that God is using to touch other people's lives, it's not me. It was a gift. Therefore, I don't take any credit for it. I give all the glory to God because I have to depend upon Him to use it. And I recognize it didn't come from me anyway. It came from Him. So it all sort of ties into that mindset of knowing that the, the, the things that I have are all coming from God anyway. And the things that God uses comes from God. And I need to acknowledge that before others. And I need to put the praise back to Him and realize my dependence upon Him. But certainly dying to self, because part of that's going to be the opposite of that, that is lifted up in pride. If I'm, if I'm all about me, you know, then it's look at me, and look at what I've done, and look at this, or whatever. So certainly dying to self is, is a part of that whole humility equation. Yeah, yeah. Any others? Yes. Yeah, any book by Andrew Murray that I've read is good stuff. So if you ever, his books are a lot of Christian classics. Uh, good, good stuff. Uh, notice the other thing. Besides watching for the enemy, and besides realizing that I'm not the only one going through this, the other thing that, again, I've got to cling to, and this goes back to faith, is the fact that what Satan is trying to use to destroy me, God is actually using to develop me and to strengthen me. So in other words, the way I need to look at it as a Christian is maybe behind persecution stands Satan, but behind Satan always stands God. And God always trumps Satan, and Satan doesn't have the last word. The persecutors don't have the last word. God has the last word. And that's why he says in verse 10, And after God has permitted you to suffer for a little while, and that's key, because God will permit us to suffer, for a little while. As I've told you before, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, throughout the Old Testament especially, is, and it came to pass. <laughs> and this shall pass. Because no matter what you and I, it'll pass. Like a kidney stone, it'll pass. You know, it'll eventually pass. And that's what he's saying here. After you've suffered a little while... Because notice, he's contrasting the time of our suffering here on earth with, again, the eternal glory that awaits us. And what he's saying is, I don't care how bad you have it down here for as long as you have it, compared to eternity, it's a drop in the bucket. So even, even extreme example, if from the time I'm born to the time I die and say I live 70 years, my whole life is filled with suffering... Compared to eternity, it is still a drop in the bucket. So here's what he's saying. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of... Oh, I love this. All grace. I love that. Cast all your care, because He cares for you, because He's the God of all grace. And whatever grace we need, because God is the God of all grace, He can give... So. You need grace because you're frustrated? God can give you frustrated grace. You, you have grace because you're 
suffering from discouragement and depression, God can give you the grace to overcome it and see victory in your life. You're suffering from anxiety and worry and care. God can give you the grace to overcome it. Whatever need we have, God is the God of all grace who can dispense that grace and help us to see victory in our life rather than defeat. And notice, the God of all grace has called you to His eternal glory in Christ. It's way bigger than this amount of suffering that's going on right down here. It's way bigger than that. God's got eternity in mind. And so he says, God will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In other words, again, what Satan may look at as a way to destroy you, God's actually going to use it to make you stronger. And if you study these four terms, here's the best Summary of these four terms. All four terms speak of adjustment. And so what Peter is saying is, through these times of suffering and trial in our life, God is just giving us a little bit of a spiritual chiropractic adjustment. We're going in and he's going, crack! Oh, okay, alright, yeah. That's exactly what these words mean. Alright? Literally, the one word speaks of that word where we get the word scoliosis or the curvature of the spine here. And he's talking about correcting and strengthening and straightening out some things. And so what God is seeing is a lot of times not what we see and not even what our enemies see. Those who are persecuting us and maybe even our spiritual enemies and, and, and Satan and his minions, what they're seeing is, ah, this is, this is going to destroy them. And what God sees is, oh, no. This is, this is going to be used to strengthen them and make them even stronger. And then, I love this. The last verse. To Him, God, belongs the power. The power. Forever and ever. The power. Are there other powers out there? Yeah. Does Satan have power? Yeah. But he doesn't have the power. That's why John could say, greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. Don't need to be afraid. You got God, and God has the power. He's the God of all grace. You see, especially in this context, Satan is pretty confident. He's overconfident. He thinks he's got more power than what he really does. He thinks he has more dominion than what he really has. And he's going to make you think that as well. And what you and I have to do is stand up and resist him in the faith and say, no, 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 no. You, you, don't, you don't have that power. I have a power in my life greater than your power. I have a power that can stand up. I, I don't need to succumb, you see, because I have the power operating in my life. Not just a power. I have the power, the power of God. And God can certainly strengthen those with His power through whatever persecution or suffering or trial they are going through. So the last thing I would say to you tonight, in 1 Peter 5, looking at a survival kit for living in difficult days, get the right kind of leaders, follow your leaders, practice humility, release anxiety, watch for the enemy, trust God for your stability, verse 10, 
And finally, never, ever give up. Don't give up. No reason to give up. Because God can keep you going. Never, ever, ever give up. If you know of a Christian that's about ready to wave the white flag of surrender, man, pray for them and, and come alongside of them and say, God, don't, don't, don't give up. We all know of Christians who've given up. So, I'm done. And Peter would tell us through this whole great book we've studied in the last couple of months, don't give up. He's the God of all grace. Resist your enemy firm in the faith. Keep trusting. Even when everything in your world looks like it's fallen apart, keep trusting. He's going to let you suffer for a while, but He's also making some huge adjustments in your life that's going to bring you out on the other side stronger than what you were before you went in. To Him belongs all the power. The power. Don't forget these things. Never give up. Never give up. Comments? Questions? Yes. Well, again, I, I've shared here, I don't believe the devil, devil can make us do anything. He can tempt us. But if we give in to that temptation, that's our responsibility. I, I'm all over that. That's not the, the devil can't make us do anything. He can tempt us. He can lie to us and we can give in to those lies, but he can't make us do anything. Uh, we choose whether we're going to follow that course of sin or whether we're going to... Because again, going back to God's grace, God's grace enables us to say yes to the things we should say yes to and no to the things that we should say no to. So to say that I can't stand up to this is basically to deny what we just even studied tonight, that God's grace is not sufficient, that God is not the God of all grace and He can't help me in that area or whatever to overcome and to see victory. But I would also say to this other thing about I don't need church or whatever, that again it goes back to a total misconception of why God designed the church. God designed the church primarily not for what I can get out of it, but for what I can give to the body. So a person who removes themselves from fellowship in the church is basically saying that I'm not willing to help others and encourage others. Because it might not be about me. It's about them. It's about my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why God gave us all spiritual gifts. So that we would come and use our gifts to edify, to build up the body of Christ. So if a Christian's out there saying, I don't need the church, then what they're really saying is, I don't want to use my gift and the things that God has given to edify and build up other saints. Let me take you to a passage real quick. Hebrews chapter 10. where again, these people were going under persecution as well, and they were very close to leaning away from assembling together because it was costing them too much to come together at the church. Because, oh, they see me at the church, guess what? So notice in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, and let us hold unwaveringly to the hope that we confess for the one who made the promise is trustworthy. Again, going back to the faithfulness and trustworthiness of God. And let us take thought of how to spur one another on to love and to good works. 
not abandoning our own meetings as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and even more so because you see the day of Christ drawing near. In other words, he's saying, guys, you stay away from church, you've lost an opportunity to encourage another brother and sister in Christ. And see, I I realize that we're battling sort of a whole cultural mindset because today we live in a consumerism culture where our whole culture is infected to church where most people look at the church for what they can get out of it. You know, I, I like that church because I can get that out of it. I can get that out of it. Where when Jesus set up the church, that's not what it was about. It wasn't about, you know, and I hate to use this as an example because it wasn't a spiritual thing at all. But when John F. Kennedy in his inauguration speech said about the country, you know, not ask what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Well, take that principle. That's exactly what the church should be about. That people really, if they understood the concept of the church, would not be coming looking for a church saying, what can the church do for me? It would be, what can I do for the church? Meaning, what can I do to build up my brothers and sisters in Christ? You see, the way the Bible teaches it, the model is this. As I follow my shepherd, my shepherd meets my needs. I'm not looking to other people to meet my needs. So if the shepherd meets my needs, then I'm free to meet other people's needs. That's why Psalm 23 starts out with, The Lord is my shepherd. And what's the next line? I shall not want. But we've got a world of people today who, I want, I want, I want. And when you're really thinking about I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm starting to preach. But here's the thing. I'm not starting to. Uh, If we can get people to follow Jesus with the kind of fellowship and commitment that they should, they will find out Jesus Christ will meet all my needs. I don't need to look to some human being to meet my need. He will fill the deepest longings and desires of my soul. And therefore, once I follow my shepherd, then I'm freed to minister to other people. So that I don't create a culture where people are saying, I want, I want, give me, give me, give me. It's more, I'm coming together to give. I've looked to my shepherd, Jesus Christ, to meet my need. And now I'm freed to meet other people's needs. I'm sorry, I just... Sorry, but that's just... Ooh, man. Yeah. Again, spiritual growth does not happen in a vacuum. You know, that's why God created the church. Yeah. All right, guys, I got to let you go. Let's pray. Good. You guys are great. I just so appreciate you. I'm going to miss you for a couple weeks. I hope you'll come back in three weeks. Father, thank you so much for the encouragement of Peter, uh, of the letter that, Lord, you burdened him to share with those people that, like Lee Len, were going through tremendous persecution for their faith in Christ. And Father, though we here in America at this point may not be suffering like those people are suffering, yet Lord, we deal with suffering in different ways, and we deal with trials, and we deal with situations, Lord, where our faith is tested, where our trust in you may be shaken, and Father, where the enemy is just as much on our backs as he is on other people's. And Lord, where our own flesh is dealing in this spiritual struggle as well. So Father, I pray that each one of us would take the encouragement and the challenge from Peter's pen 
And Lord, that we would just commit ourselves to following our shepherd and to realize, Lord, that we need to just cast all our care upon you because you truly do care for us. And Father, if we leave here with nothing else tonight, may we leave here just being reminded about how much you love us, how much you care for us. And Lord, even if you have seen fit in your sovereignty to allow us to go through a time of suffering, that through that suffering, you're not using it to destroy us. You're using it to develop us. You're using it to strengthen us, to make us even better than we were before we went through it. God, help us to just cling to these promises in the days ahead. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. You're great. Have a great evening.